Hi, Hal Aaron Cohen here. Over time, you may notice I often refer to the Great American Food and Beverage Company. Uh, it's also called the Great American, or GA for short. The Great American Food and Beverage Company was a very popular restaurant in the 1970s through the early 80s, and it was known for its singing waiters, fabulous planked feasts filled with gigantic beef ribs and chicken, expedited with grapes and fresh fruit piled high, and we had decadent desserts called the ice cream orgy served on a, again, on a plank, with humongous scoops of ice cream made to look like boobs, with bananas dripping with hot fudge resting in the melting cleavage. Some well-known celebrities worked there for a spell, including Katie Segal, Ricky Lee Jones, Michael Winslow, uh, 80s rockers Jamie Sheriff and Mark Tanner, and for a spell, Peter Tork, best known as one of the monkeys. Peter passed away on Thursday, February 21st, 2019, at the age of 77. Today, we remember him with great fondness as a few mutual friends share stories in a tribute to Peter Tork, on Tales of the Road Warriors! Hal Aaron here, and welcome to my podcast, Tales of the Road Warriors. If you enter the name Peter Tork in Google's search engine, you'll get about 14 million results in about 36 seconds. To say he was a, po uh, a pretty popular fellow would be quite accurate. However, this is not a recap of Peter Tork's career with the Monkees or a history of Peter's life. You can find a lot of great articles, interviews, and mu music videos of his all over the internet. And in fact, if you go to my show notes on talesoftheroadwarriors.com, uh, I'll leave some links to some of my favorites. But Peter was the sum of many parts before, during, and after his association with the iconic band that skyrocketed him to stardom. And this is my little piece of the Peter Tork story, and I feel honored and fortunate that I entered his orbit, however briefly. I also encountered several people within that orbit that have agreed to share their stories of working with or just hanging out with him. A few of the words that come up a lot when talking about Peter Tork are kind, humble, and gracious. I never heard anyone utter an unkind word about him. Before Peter became a member of the Monkees, he was passing the hat in coffee houses in New York's Greenwich Village. Here's a mutual friend, Ted Barron, describing the early days. The thing about it, Peter, you know, like, I, were, I, used, I started hanging in the village when I was in high school. So uh, I graduated in 61, so I guess I started going to the village on weekends, like in 59, 60, something like that with my friends from, from high school, we'd go down there and they had all the open mics, you know, any, all the coffee houses had open mics on Saturday and Sunday afternoons. So we would take the subway and go down to the village and, and be uh, hip, you know, yeah. <laughs> one friend would bang the bongos, you know, and another one that would shake maracas, you know, we'd do uh, rhythm folk music, you know. Yeah, and, was, um, was the was, Bitter Randa a, 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 one of those places then? Well, no, he uh, he worked uh, the street. You know, he was um, he worked the basket houses where you where you'd pass the basket. You'd go in and do a set. You'd get fifteen minutes or something, fifteen or twenty minutes to do your thing, and then they'd pass the hat. Right, you'd get like, whatever you like. Get, the song, you know? like what was the song in the coffee house of Bastion's at? Creek Alley. Yeah. Creek Alley. That's it. Thanks. Yeah. So uh, 
anyway, so Peter used to do that, and I was, oh, man, at that point, I think is when I had that rock band, you know, that, 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 uh, did you ever, did I ever send you that video? I don't think so. Oh, there's a video of my rock band in 66 on the, on I've Got a Secret. <laughs> no kidding. And, uh, no, I never saw yeah. that video, Ted. If you want to look at, okay, you want to see it, uh, go to YouTube and in the search bar, put, type in HI dash number five. High five was the name of the band. HI dash five and the words uh, rub it in and uh, okay. <laughs> it'll link you to that, to that whole thing. You can even see us on the panel with Steve Allen and everything. Oh, that is very cool. <laughs> Yeah, but anyway, the, the thing about Peter, so he he was working the basket houses, and I was developing this rock band with my friends from Brooklyn, and uh, and uh, the last night he was in New York, we ran into him down in the village on McDougal Street, right? Uh huh. Did you ever hang? Did you ever hang in New York in the village? I went. I I visited. I think maybe one time, maybe twice, and I, we went to McDougal Street both times. Yeah, well, the Cafe How can Wah, you not? If you're near the village, how can you not? Because that was so famous. Yeah. You, you had to sure. go down the so Cafe, Cafe was where we played a lot, you know. Uh-huh. Um, and also, the later on, I was in another band. We played The Bitter End. Now, uh, how did you first Cafe, meet Peter? So we met him on, on the street, you know, and like uh, you would uh, go by the third side or one of the little coffee houses. There'd be a sign out front that said, you know, Tonight, you know, they have a list of names, and one of the names was Torque, T-O-R-K, which is what he went by then. Right. He just went by Torque. Everybody knew him as Torque. Nobody called him Peter, really. We knew his first name was Peter, but and we knew his last name was Torkelson, but he was Torque, you know? Yeah. And he mostly he did uh, banjo, you know, and, and uh, folk songs, some, some goofy tunes that he wrote, and um, he did comic patter in between, and he was really good at that. You know, he was really engaging. He was very good with the audience. And then we ran into him on the street. My girlfriend at the time and I were walking on McDougal Street and ran into him and he said, hey, it's my last night in town. I'm, I, I got this job. I, I made the audition. I'm going out to California to do this TV show, you know. <laughs> I, I, may be back in, I may be back in a couple of months, but I'm going to go for it. He was driving an old Saab for a friend out from New York, I think as far as Minneapolis, and then taking a Greyhound from there to come out to LA to be a monkey. And he said, he said, I'm going to a party. You want to go? So we went with him to this party. You know, Eric Anderson, he was pretty well, pretty well known and very much in the middle of the folk scene in the village at the time. This had to be, this had to be, uh, I think thirsty boots was one of his tunes. Um, anyway, Judy Collins did that later on, but, um, anyway, so this had to be 65, I guess ish 65 ish um and so we go uh down to i guess it was what you would now call soho south of houston and more like east village you know uh-huh. and um uh, and uh he had a loft over there and we came in the place and, and we walk in and i hear somebody banging on the piano like david bloom right yeah. <laughs> like what I would like to say, like like David Bloom, right? Uh-huh. And they're singing, uh, you know, you know the old Shirley and Lee tune. Um, Come on, baby, let the good times roll. Oh yeah, of course. You know that sure. So they're doing this tune, and this guy's banging the piano, 
And there's this lady with a high soprano voice singing through her nose, singing the song. And we come around the corner. When you walked in this loft, the first thing you were in the kitchen. And we come around this wall, and there's the upright piano. And so a piano, it was Al Cooper. And uh, and the singer was Joan, was Joan Baez. Wow. Singing rock and roll. Singing rock and roll. And Dylan was at the party and a whole cast of characters from the village. And Good that times, was our eh? last that was, that was Peter's last night in uh, in uh, New York before coming out here. And, we, and then we saw him like a year later. And uh, he was, uh, let's see, his girlfriend at the time was Leah uh, Elliot. She was Cass's sister, Leah Cass's slim sister, Leah. Mm. Uh, and uh, we all went to dinner and like that. And he was, he was scratching his head about it still. He said, I don't, you know, it's just like, I don't understand. All of a sudden, everybody wants to know me. Peter was about 24 when he joined the Monkees in 1965 and the oldest member of the group. Uh, I met Peter when he was about 37 when he first began working at the Great American Food and Beverage Company in 1978. I was clocking in on what was his first night at the GA and I noticed the name Peter Thorkelson on the time card above mine. My first thought was, no way. I didn't even know that was his real name. However, when I went into the dining room to set up for the dinner rush, there he was, big as life, Peter Tork. He introduced himself, and during the course of the night, I had a hard time focusing just knowing he was in the place bussing tables. I hadn't been a waiter that long, having bussed tables for almost a year before getting the waiter position. And here I was, now waiting tables, while Peter Tork was clearing them off for me and bringing water and condiments to my customers. It just felt so wrong, I almost felt embarrassed for the guy. A few days later, I was walking home from the store, and damn, there's Peter Tork again, at the end of my block. I said, Peter Tork, are you stalking me? Turns out his daycare was at the end of my street, and he was dropping his kids off. I took the opportunity to ask him how he ended up at the GA, so he told me. Two years prior to when I met him, he had moved to Japan with his family. He had bought out his contract with Screen Gems, and that, combined with the high cost of living in Japan, helped him burn through the remainder of his savings. So now he was back in the States trying to get back on his feet financially and emotionally. And as I could see, he also had a family to support. I imagine the stint he put in at the Great American was a dark time for him. When he first started working there, he refused to play any songs from the Monkees catalog, but he wouldn't hesitate to jump in with another great American waiter doing cover tunes or play some of his originals on the banjo in between bussing tables. And uh, as you'll hear from a couple other people mention, he did a mean Chuck Berry duck walk while playing the shit out of his banjo. Yeah, Torque was a great entertainer. Johnny Rockmore, a co-worker of mine, told me of his reaction upon seeing this guy who looked like one of the monkeys. I came in one afternoon, and everybody's like getting ready to, to go ahead and, and get the restaurant open, and we're rolling silver. And I look over at this guy, and I'm like, man, that guy looks familiar. Who, wait a minute, that guy just looks just like the guy in the monkeys. And so I told him that. I said, hey, you look just like the guy in the monkeys. And he's like, well, I am that guy. And I was like, I was shocked, you know, because I believed that 
people like Peter Tork didn't come to work at the GA. It was people like us that were on our way up or struggling to try and, and make it and not for someone like him to come in and, you know, I'm looking at like he's on the way down. They've canceled the TV show and what's he doing here? And I said it, I mean, I just blurted right out. It was like, what are you doing working here? And um, he said that he didn't make any money from the television show. He was married, had debt, and he was teaching at a kindergarten. And uh, he needed the extra income, and he was living in either in Venice or in Santa Monica somewhere, and had heard about the GA and came down there to work. And I was, you know, like I said, I was flabbergasted. I thought, man, if you had a TV show, it was like smooth sailing. You're just like set for life. But, you know, I mean, I watched a lot of television and the, I'm not really th thinking anything about it. It's, it's busy. We're running around like crazy. And I'm like, Pete, get bread, bread to table 12. Pete, go over there and bust that, you know, going, going, going. And, uh, finally he, he corners me in the kitchen and, uh, he was he was quite serious, and he looked me right in the eye, and he said, my name is Peter. And I was like, oops. <laughs> put, me, put me right in my place. Once Peter Tork began performing monkey songs at the Great American, the customers were ecstatic. He worked out several numbers with Danny Carey, one of my favorite co-workers. Danny knew the lyrics and chords to most of the monkey's entire catalog. So he and Peter rocked the house with several monkeys hits. Here, Danny recounts his time at the GA working and performing with Peter Tork. Yeah, somebody told me you and Peter kind of rocked it, rocked it on, uh, was it Last Train at Clarksville? Or um, what's the one you did uh, with we played one of Mike, We played one of Michael Nesmith's songs called A Girl That I Knew Somewhere. He played piano, I knew the guitar parts, so... And he and I sang it together, and we really rocked it down. We knocked it out of the park. I wish I had seen that. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I think I had already been gone from there. I got fired shortly after he started there, so I didn't really get to work with him that long myself. But I saw him outside oh. of there a few times because his, uh -huh. his kids were in a daycare on, at the end of the block that I lived on. So I saw him sometimes when he was dropping his kids off, so I would stop and talk to him then. Oh, crazy. Yeah. I worked with him just before I joined Jamie's band. And he was very happy for me that I got a record deal. <laughs> <laughs> it, was actually, it was actually Jamie's record deal, but uh, Jamie took me on as a guitar player for his band. So I left Great American. Right. Well, it's all connected. Actually, I just talked to Jamie about it. Turns out Jamie's dad worked for Screen Gems. So he was part of the team uh -huh. that formed the monkey, you know, the, the, put the audition, the casting call out for the monkeys originally. Uh-huh. So it's funny how wow. it all ties together. Something that stands out in my mind is I remember that DJ was promoting some kind of get-rich-quick scheme, and it irritated Peter to no end, and he got really vocal about it. We were tearing down the green room late at night, and all I remember Peter telling him was that it was a, a pyramid scheme. Yeah, he says, there's nothing but a fucking pyramid scheme. You should be ashamed of yourself for promoting that. Really? Who was and this DJ? DJ didn't want to hear any of it, of course. 
Yeah, DJ. <laughs> he was taking he was taking DJ to task on it. I can see that, but DJ was always trying to find like ways to get rich quick. So I I totally believe that's that. That's, yeah, yeah, it was. I think back in those days we had to pay for our, our habits, as I recall. Yeah, and I think uh, Peter had lived through that and, and was just looking out for us. So he was one of the good guys. And I, I just had fun with him. He could play the shit out of the banjo, and he was a really good pianist. Yeah. And he was a smart guitar player, too. I remember him uh, whipping out that banjo in the in the uh, piano room and duck walking like Chuck Berry, and like he, he really had it down, man. He, he, he was exceptional. Yeah, he was a good musician. A lot of people think that the monkeys, you know, they talk about how the monkeys didn't really know how to play their instruments. And the fact is, Peter was a consummate musician. And uh, I think more people should know that about him. How great yeah, an entertainer. Yeah, so was Michael Nesmith. Yeah, yeah. But it's funny, here and, in these uh, parts, we see Dan, we see Michael, um, Mickey Dolan's around here in these parts. And uh, he's funny. He always shows up like at showcases and open mics. He just like pops in out of nowhere. He's sort of like the Bill Murray of musicians. Yeah, he is. He is. I mean, the guy's got great pipes, you know. He can really sing his ass off. Yeah. Fact is, I think the, the Monkees were a much better band than a lot of people gave them credit for. And... Uh, Oh, I agree. Have, have I the agree. four of them were still alive today and did a reunion concert in a large stadium, I think they'd still fill it. They would, without a doubt. My old friend and partner in crime, DJ Barker, the one Peter yelled at, is also the guy responsible for talking me into moving out to California and joining him as a singing waiter at the GA. And he shared a similar memory. Take it away, DJ. Well, what I thought was great was that um, he always seemed to be humble and uh, very, very gracious in his in his actions and his attitude. Uh, he always treated everybody with respect. He stayed low key until we would kick up with a group number, and then he would join in. Uh, I'm sure you got the story with Danny Carey about they used to rock Pleasant Valley Sunday all the time. Uh, they sat together and worked it out. And, um, he just, uh, we, I'm sure everybody else has been joking about how he wasn't Pete. He was Peter. You can tell a lot about a person, um, when they do whatever they need to do for their family. And the only thing else that I would add is that, um, the fact that he stayed so humble and so gracious after a lot of us had grown up with him as an icon, um, means a lot. You know, you're talking about a big star that 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 we idolized. I mean, I watched his Saturday morning cartoons and the TV show and the movies. And uh, Last Train to Clarksville was the first song that I learned to play when I was 11 or 12 years old on guitar, taking guitar lessons. Yeah. And to have him in the red. Did you ever see that YouTube video of, of him? I think he's playing solo and somebody yells out, Antique Risilda. <laughs> and he just like looks at the guy. <laughs> he just looks at the guy like, I don't yeah, think I know, so. That's, Not that's today, funny. Jack. Well, you and I, the other night, we were talking about how Peter, you know, Peter, you know, with the great American, you know, we were all like a family and we were, and what I started to say was that it was kind of, it was kind of neat that somebody who we idolized that was actually coming, had come down off 
off that whole fame and fortune and was regrouping so that he could just play the music out of the love for the music, that he would take a job at the Great American waiting on tables and playing with all of us while we were all trying on the upswing to become big stars, you know, and, and he didn't treat anybody any differently. And, you know, we would go out and we would party afterwards. And we talked the other night about him doing the duck walk with the banjo, you know, and, and that kind of stuff was really cool. And the fact that he would just jump in with anybody else in a company, whether he was the forerunner or not, somebody else was singing a song and he would just join in like, and he was, he was part of our family. Most recently, Peter Tork toured the U.S. in several incarnations. He did a couple of reunion tours with the Monkees. He performed as a solo artist in rooms large and small across the U.S., and he also performed with his band Shoe Suede Blues, as well as in a duo with James Lee Stanley called the Two Man Band. Now, the last two people I'm talking to were among the last to share the stage with him. First, here's Laura Cheadle, who opened for him. I was able to speak with her briefly, but the audio the audio was a little choppy because uh, she was in her car driving to an appointment. Laura, how was your experience opening for Peter Tork? I've opened for a lot of people in my career, and he by far was the nicest guy. I actually just talked about him on a talk show I was on before he died, which is coincidentally really crazy, but he... The minute I got the sound check, he watched my sound check, but he didn't watch it like in a way that some people I've opened for, you know, making sure you're not going to outshine them or, you know, because I've opened for pretty big people that made me not have a drummer last minute, you know, things like that. But he was watching in a way where he was loving the music. He was like, do you want to get some pictures? My mom was there. She was losing her mind. She was a big monkeys fan. He took pictures with her. He's just so nice. And then, after the performance, my performance, he brought me on stage to sing Daydream Believer. I sang Mojo working with him. He brought my mom up. He was the most gracious guy I've ever met in my entire life. He was like, I really want you to open for us, want to, you know, more. He kept in touch. His people, to this day, even a month ago, posted about me, saying how great I was as an opener. He's so, you know, he's so... Uh, for the independent artist, he was helping, and he left such an impression on me. It was 2015. I opened for him. It really. Well, he was deserves. He him. deserves that crush. Yeah. Finally, we come to Peter's lifelong friend and partner in musical mirth and song, James Lee Stanley. I always like to save the best for last. And to be honest, I almost didn't want to bother James Lee Stanley because I didn't know if it was a good time to ask him to talk about Peter. I always hate when I see TV reporters shove a microphone in someone's face right after they lost a loved one or their home's burning to the ground while the camera's on the uh, anchorman. But it turned out okay. James was happy to talk about his music and his friendship with Peter Tork. Only problem was he was getting through a bad bug and his throat was a bit raw, so I told him we'd keep it short. Still, James Lee Stanley shared quite a bit with me. Uh, it was in 1964. I had been bounced out of high school for being uh, a smartass, I guess. And I went to the beach and got a place and lived on my own down there and had a fake ID and worked in a nightclub called The Shadows. And uh, I think it was late June that uh, the Phoenix Singers came through and Peter was in the band. He was the uh, banjo player in the in the, behind the group. They were it was a, during the folk scare. 
and uh, he and I hit it off. And that Monday night, we we did a an impromptu uh, show together. We just played a couple of tunes, you know, and had a good time and stayed friends. And then when I opened a club in uh, in 1965, there was no place to play in the winter in in uh, that area, Virginia Beach, Norfolk, the Hampton Roads area. So I opened a club on my own uh, with two other friends. We called it the Folk Ghetto, and I contacted Peter in New York City and said, I want to hire you to come down here for a week and be the headlining act, which he did. And uh, we packed the place out every night because there was nothing like that before. Was he solo? And we've been friends ever since. No, he was utterly solo, and he was he was fantastic. He was so good. It, we were it was wonderful. He got a huge article in the Sunday paper. Uh, matter of fact, I'll see if I can make a copy of it. It's very large, so it's hard to, to scan, but I'll do what I can. Anyhow, uh, we became friends, and we were friends ever since. And uh, as I was a Chinese linguist in the Air Force, I was overseas while the monkeys thing happened. So I didn't really. I didn't really experience him as a celebrity ever, you know. I just experienced him as my pal Peter, and I can tell you that he's been one of my best friends for my entire life, and uh, one of the more generous people I've ever known. And, and just to give you a window into the kind of guy he was, he would come off a monkey's tour where everything was handled. He, you know, they would take care of his tickets, they'd take care of his rooms, they'd carry his instruments, they'd carry his bags. He just had to show up at the airport and they gave him the, you know, the ACE treatment. And then he comes off a tour like that and he gets in a, in a rented Dodge with me and, uh, and we drive around country playing little rooms, which we fill to the max because it's Peter Tork. And then he demands that, that because I booked all the dates, I take a booking fee off the top. And then he demands that we, we split the door. He, I mean, you oh, know. Yeah. Well, you know, just the fact that, that was, when, Things went south for him, and he was working as a busboy at at the Great American. It just speaks right. volumes to to the metal of the man, to me. Yeah, he was he was he was just my best friend, you know, yeah. and and a, a great spirit. And I just got a wonderful post from his brother Nick, who said that uh, you know Peter was in here in L.A. and he was he wasn't really doing anything. And I and we were hanging out, and I said Peter. I noticed that all the other monkeys have solo albums. Why don't you have a solo album? And he said, uh, well, I just never got around to it. I said, well, you know, I have a label. I have national distribution and I have a studio. I said, why don't we make a record and we'll try, you know, we'll shop it to the, to the majors. And if nobody picks it up, we can still put it out on my label. So there's no doubt about it. We're making a record that's coming out. And he said, okay. So we worked on it about four months. And uh, at the end of the four months, he said, you know what, James, I don't want to shop it. I want it on your label. So I got wow. to put Peter Tork on my label without, you know, paying a huge uh, upfront thing to have a world famous celebrity on my out label. You know, he just said, no, let's do it with you, man. Yeah. He, was, wow. he was great. He was just a great guy, you know, loved the blues, loved the blues. He just would hang out at those blues clubs on his off nights and go there and and, I just uh, watched you, know, you and him at the Tin Angel on the YouTube on the the. Um, oh right, yeah. There, there was there's a lot of those up there. I think of Peter and I playing around the world around somebody the United posted, States. Like the entire concert. I, I looked at a piece of it, and and I'll tell you, what struck me was how much genuine affection there was between us. You yeah. know what I mean? I 
I forgot what a joy it was to go up there and play with somebody you love. You know, yeah, and you could see that it, it, all it your came life. through. As old and choppy as that video is, it, it comes through. Yeah, it really does. It really does. I looked, and I also was surprised at how tight. I didn't remember that we were so tight. You know, my recollection is it was pretty loose and and casual, but uh, evidently we worked out a lot of little things. Yeah. Know? Well, to be honest, I wasn't even even going to bother you, but then that's what actually compelled me to call. I said, you know, the two of them look so happy together. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and I I knew since last fall that that. Uh, you know, he'd ceased the treatment and was. Just, was it from that same you know, cancer that that had plagued him? Yes, yes, previously? it uh, it came back. Damn. It came back, and uh, and he well, they did some kind of experimental stuff, and it didn't work. And so he just he said enough, mm-hmm. and he just you know bit the bullet. And then he called me at Christmas time. We talked a long time, and and uh, it was the first time he said, you know, we're. I wanted to mention the elephant in the room. I said, well, I've been tiptoeing around it for the past year. And then we talked about it. You know, we talked about our friendship and our lives together and apart. And uh, and I talked to him, you know, not many times after that because he was, he was very tired. He was, you know, he was failing. Man. James went on to tell me about an upcoming project, which I'll share on the next episode. I want this episode of Tales of the Road Warriors to be dedicated to Tales of Peter Tork. Rest in peace, my friend. Looks like you took the last train for now, but one day, maybe we'll meet you at the station. In the meantime, I'm going for a drive. Yeah.